Let's bring it on up and get it going again with another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. How are you? We are uh, looking at a couple of empty seats here, you and I, Jason Jorgensen. Not the first time, Dirk. Won't be the last. <laughs> a couple of old radio guys. We could fill five minutes. Just hand, us, hand us four minutes and we'll hand you the world. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, no, the reason for that is I know that Jesse's been awfully busy, and uh, she has run in here now with, I think... Is it Friday yet? A semblance of what we can expect today. Oh, and here's Bob here. So we've got a quorum. Ladies and gentlemen, we're ready to go. Jesse, it's all yours. Well, coming up at the 12-13, tomorrow we'll make the 73rd D-Day anniversary, and we're going to get a little bit of information on how production agriculture factored into World War II and what producers had to do during that time. Wow. That yeah. should be very interesting. Yep. It's just a short little deal, though, at 12-13. And then for the 12-19, Shaley is going to be joined with Steve Pritchard on some of the different things that they've had on hard copy through the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, but now they're making things accessible online. For the newsmaker, Susan Littlefield is joined with Ron Ramberley. He is with the American Coalition of Ethanol talking about the June 1st restrictions now on E15. And then for the 117, Shaley Peters was able to attend the Cattlemen's Ball this last weekend and so she'll talk with the host, Jeff and Lisa Johnson, about how things went. Oh, I thought you were signaling there. No. Right. It no. looked like it, too. Yeah. I was just talking to uh, to Dewey over here. He was saying about how uh, successful the Cattleman's Ball was again this time That's around. right. Yep. What well, a we great had event. several people from the station either up there working yeah. or helping to volunteer at the event. Very fun. When all you right. have an event like that at your place, when it's all done, I, I can't imagine the, uh, the yoke of pressure <laughs> that has yeah. dropped. The elation after it's all I mean, It, it has to be cool, but I'm sure th- there's yeah. so many things to oh, think yeah. about. Yeah. It's oh. a big thing, but they've got it down to a science, that's for sure. Jason, what's up in sports? NCAA baseball tournament is continuing on. Not that Nebraska will be a part of it after they uh, had issues over the weekend. We will get the thoughts of head coach Darren Erstad about another quick exit in the postseason. Do for we the really want to hear that? Well, well, people are asking what's <laughs> what's wrong. Inquiring minds want to know. Never has the road from Lincoln to Omaha seemed so far away when it comes to Nebraska baseball. So we will uh, touch on that. Also, NBA Finals last night, more of the same as Golden State beat up on Cleveland. But everyone needs to remember the first two games started this way last year before the Cavaliers were able to eventually turn things around. And I have to admit, this shocks me. This is one of the best ideas that ESPN has had in quite a while. They are bringing Hank Williams Jr. back to sing the opening of Monday Night Football. That's a time that's time has come. They said it's because fans missed it. Uh-huh. And let's face it, with the spring they've had, with all those layoffs, they need some good PR. Yeah. So they turned old Hank and... Will he have a new to, song or be the same song? You know, New song, new he will song. redo it. So it'll be the, the, like, the, like the new version of the old one. <laughs> Very cool. All right, Bob, what's in business? It's the oldest formula in, formula in the world. That's right. Give, peop, give people what they want. Shocking. <laughs> yes. Stocks are lower in midday trading. The market's pulling back from its latest record highs set last week. Materials companies had some of the biggest losses today. Paint maker Sherwin-Williams sank 1.1%. Technology companies and banks managed to post some gains. We'll have more on that coming up in the business report today. These stories and more coming up today on Midday. 
All right. Well, today, uh, relatively uh, warm and dry, but tomorrow, kind of a different story. Yes, uh, we could see some storminess by tomorrow, uh, going to contrast uh, quite a bit with the warm and dry conditions that we're going to see today. Are already off to a good start with some good warming with a lot of us right now in the low to mid-80s for uh, temperatures getting close to the noon hour. Right now, as warm as 87 at Lincoln and 89 currently at Hebron, and also some humidity in with that, those dew points getting close to 60, so you'll probably notice a little humid feel to it. A ridge of high pressure building onto the plains from the Rockies today to give us these temperatures about 10 degrees warmer than what we usually see this time of year, and some mainly light winds not offering too much relief uh, from the heat. Tonight should be mostly dry, but we could see a few thunderstorms develop right near a trough of low pressure off to our west across the high plains. Then those storms will track to the east. It's doubtful that they'll hold together for very long. Thunderstorm chances increase tomorrow thanks to an area of low pressure that will track along the Canadian border and a cold front that will swing southeast through our area and act as a focus for thunderstorm development. Main storm energy with this system going to be to our north. A few of these storms, though, could be strong or severe, especially in the west and central during the late part of the day with hail and strong winds as the main threat, but not expecting a big severe weather outbreak once the heating of the day is gone or disappears. Thunderstorms become more scattered as we head towards tomorrow night. A few more thunderstorms could redevelop Wednesday on the backside of this low as it moves off to our northeast. Temperatures behind the front a lot closer to seasonal for the rest of the week. Wednesday night through Friday night, our area will be on the eastern edge of a high-pressure ridge over the Rockies. Some weak disturbances dropping down that ridge could trigger some late-day and nighttime thunderstorms. That ridge moving onto the plains for the weekend for some warm and dry weather. And there is a big switch in the long-term forecast that has some wondering if it points to a hot and dry June. Temperatures in the long term for Nebraska and Kansas now expected to be warmer than normal this weekend through June 18th. Usually in central Nebraska, those daytime highs are in the low 80s during that time, with overnight lows on average in the upper 50s. Chances also now pretty good, especially early on, that it will be drier than normal for precipitation in Nebraska and Kansas this weekend through the 18th. In the markets today, weather factors include the concerns for developing dry weather in the northern plains and also very little rain forecast and dry conditions that will help out in the Midwest with variable temperatures. Eastern regions of the nation will continue to experience some cool and wet weather the next five days. That's going to contrast with generally warm weather across the central and western states. Warmer than average weather will stretch from the northern high plains south into the four corners. Across the northern plains, dryness becoming more and more of a concern with the drought forecast for this month, expecting drought developing or persisting. Once again, across the northern plains, just to our north, it looks to be a dry seven-day period in the Midwest. That will favor completion of planning. A cool pattern late in the week, though, will reduce growing degree days totals for crop development. Due to cool and wet conditions and pockets of lowland flooding during the planting season across the Midwest, corn-rated goods excellent only ranges from just 43% in Indiana to 53% in Missouri. That compares to the national value of 65% good to excellent. Just light rain is forecast for the Southern Plains this week, and that'll favor their winter wheat harvest efforts there. All right. Very good. I was waiting for Mardi Gras or something. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, but if you were looking for a very good bet, probably tomorrow's thunderstorms is going to be what you're looking for. Yep, exactly. Yeah, if we, because that's what we do have some likely chances in the forecast late in the day into probably tomorrow evening across the area. That will be our best chance of seeing some rain. So 
with the warm and dry conditions on the way, probably wouldn't hurt to get a few more raindrops because it's been a while for a few locations. No one's going to argue with you there. Exactly. When you need weather anytime, weather tab at krvn.com. Look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. Tomorrow marks the 73rd annual of the D-Day anniversary, and Annie Eflin, USDA history expert, says farmers during World War II were tasked with producing more but had overcome labor and equipment problems in order to do it. There was no way of keeping all the farm boys on the farm to work. So there were efforts to mobilize women, um, rural women, and bring in women from urban areas to mobilize high school boys and girls to work on the farms. We had much increased uh, programs for bringing guest workers from Mexico in particular, but also from the Caribbean. Uh, So we were able to uh, manage enough labor and careful use of machinery and careful choices of production to provide for all these food needs around the world. And food played a critical role in fighting of the war and with food rationing and victory gardens giving the opportunity to send extra food overseas for the troops. The first of thousands of U.S. lawsuits will go to trial today in Kansas against Syngenta over its decision to introduce a genetically engineered corn seed variety to the U.S. market before China approved it for imports. The lawsuits allege Syngenta's move wrecked an increasingly important export market for U.S. corn and resulted in price drops that hurt all producers. Monday's trial in Kansas City involves four Kansas farmers representing roughly over 7,000 farmers from the state. It will mark the first test case. The second, involving about 60,000 cases, goes to trial July 10th in the state court of Minnesota, where Syngenta's North American seed business is based. The two cases are meant to provide guidance for how the complex web of litigation in state and federal courts could be resolved. The 2017 Cattlemen's Ball took place over the weekend, and Shaley Peters brings more. The Lonesome River Ranch was host for this year's ball. Set in the sand hills near Anselmo, Nebraska, this year's ball drew a crowd from all over the state and beyond. Owners Jeff and Lisa Johnson said the support surrounding the ball was unreal. We've been feeding over 200 volunteers a day. Uh, some of the people that, that uh, set up for this said that this is this was com- the first time ever that they've got this done in this amount of time and had that many volunteers and the willingness of the people in Custer and, and County and the and the Sandhills because they come from all over to help for this. We had the Carney football team here. Yes, we had the Carney football team. team. We've had you know uh, the umpteen different schools around from Gothenburg, Broken Bow, Myrna, and Selmo. Um, Callaway. We've just been we've just been so fortunate. Find more audio and video from this year's Cattleman's Ball by finding us on Facebook and Twitter or visiting ruralradio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. The National Pork Producers New Porcine Reproductive and Respiratory Syndrome Virus Booklet is now available. The guide is the most comprehensive source of checkoff-funded research available on the subject, spanning over 20 years of results. The updated and expanded 2017 edition contains checkoff-funded research from 1997 to 2016, which helps producers, swine veterinarians, and researchers learn more about how to control the costly virus. The guide has six sections to it, including 
pathogens, vaccine development, risk factors and control strategies, genetic resistance, and more. This information can be found by visiting rollradio.com. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. An old course is getting a new look. The University of Nebraska-Lincoln has updated their Beef Cow Basics Plus course. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. And here to visit with us today about that is Steve Pritchard. He's a Nebraska Extension educator. And Steve, this course has been around for a long time and a lot of people have utilized it. But now you guys have updated it, gone in and kind of revamped this course for those interested in using it. Talk to us about some of the changes that you've made here, Steve. Well, prior to the Beef Basic course was only available in hard copy. So folks could go, uh, producers or whoever might be interested could go online, print the registration form off and mail it in. And we've done that for a number of years. And then the course would come via the mail and they could work at it at home again at their own pace and time and so forth. With the recent uh, revisions we've made and we've had some, some interest in it over the years of whether it's available on an online course. So we've restructured and uh, uploaded course materials online now that they can still take uh, 24-7, available around the world, around the globe, and pared it down basically to 12 modules uh, versus 15 on the, the hard copy course. Well, and that's just it. It was always available to those interested, but basically this has really kind of opened the door by allowing some of this stuff online. And I know what you mentioned ahead of time here, your rates vary a little bit by who's interested and who's going to be taking the course. Is that right? Well, that is true. The fee structure varies a little bit. You know, we really encourage those uh, young adults in the, the high school settings, be it FFA or other high school students, to partake in the course, particularly if they want to learn more and any different aspects of beef production or beef management, that that's an opportunity in there at a reduced cost to them versus an uh, adult uh, learner that is either just getting into the business or perhaps wants, wants a refresher. The fee structure varies a little bit between those those individuals. So we're hoping to target some of our future uh, beef managers with the course. Well, and as you mentioned, it's, you know, FFA groups. That's a wonderful idea. Or some of these people that are looking to go down that path, definitely something that they might benefit from. And we've also talked about here, for those existing producers, the initial fee might save them a little money in the long run uh, if they implement some of these practices covered in the course. Well, that's true, Shaley. You know, we've tried to keep it up with the most current research included in the uh, the various modules that are included on the uh, online course as we get questions occasionally of individuals or from individuals who are at least exploring the opportunities of going back to the farm or ranch and maybe are seeking out more knowledge in the forage production aspects of it, what's it in terms of the grazing, uh, the nutritional demands of the particular cattle that they may be exploring to uh, raise or on the beef management side or the reproductive side. So for someone that might be interested in this and wants to go learn more about it, get registered with it, how do they go about doing that now? What they can do is visit beef.unl.edu. And they still have the option right now of either taking it via hard copy or with the online version. And if they've got any questions, there's some contact information there from the Beef Home Study Committee members that would be more than willing to answer any questions.
Awesome. Thanks so much, Steve. Nebraska Extension Educator Steve Pritchard talking to us about their updated Beef Cow Basics Plus course, how people can find more information on that. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, in regional baseball action yesterday, team advancing to super regional action included Oregon State, LSU, Louisville, Wake Forest, and Davidson. The rest of the regionals are scheduled to conclude today. It was another spectacular nosedive to end the season for the Huskers, who were knocked out of the tournament on Saturday, losing to underdog Holy Cross. Head coach Darren Erstad breaks down another tough end to a season. You know, I'm the hitting coach, and that's my job to get them ready, and we just weren't able to get that big hit. Um, you know, you know, when you get in these situations, you want to be playing quality baseball because you know somebody's going to get hot and play very well because there's a lot of quality teams. And when you don't play your best baseball, you're going to get beaten. Unfortunately, we haven't played our best baseball at this time uh, the last couple seasons. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, very disappointing. Now, this has been an issue under Erstad. Since 2015, Nebraska has just a combined 1-10 record in Big Ten and NCAA tournament games. Finals are set for the NCAA softball tournament in... The finals are set for the NCAA softball tournament in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma will play Florida in the first of the... Well, the finals are set for the NCAA softball tournament in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma will play Florida in the first game of the three-game College World Series final. Stanley Cup final. Could have some bad blood brewing heading into game four tonight. Pittsburgh, the defending champs, they went down to defeat on Saturday as the Predators rolled them, scoring five straight goals to win that one five to one. The Penguins still lead the series two to one. Hank Williams Jr. is bringing back his rowdy friends back to Monday Night Football, six years after ESPN dropped the country singer for his comments about President Barack Obama. ESPN said a new version of Williams' longtime Monday Night Football theme, Are You Ready for Some Football?, will be brought before its September 11th matchup between New Orleans and Minnesota. The network said in a statement that it's bringing back what it calls, quote, the most iconic music video in sports television history. They say they're bringing it back because, well, the fans missed it. And the Houston Astros have now won 10 straight, matching the Texas Rangers for the longest streak in the majors this year. They'll look to get number 11 when they open up a series against Kansas City tonight. This role has Houston running away with the AL West. They're already 13 and a half games ahead of the LA Angels and Seattle Mariners and 15 clear of the Rangers. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Middays just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. There's a slight chance of thunderstorms early this evening, otherwise lows around 60 degrees. I'm Dave Schroeder with news. Governor Pete Ricketts and Lieutenant Governor Mike Foley announced their bids for re-election yesterday afternoon in front of Nebraska Republican Party headquarters in Lincoln. We are changing the culture of state government. We've got tremendous more work to do to be able to deliver on the tax relief that we've got to, to have here in the state to continue to allow us to grow. But I'm confident, working together with the great team we've got, with our great legislature, that we will continue to do the business of the people of Nebraska. And that's why Mike and I are asking you to help us get rehired in 2018. Ricketts and Foley were elected in 2014 and are seeking a second four-year term in office. Ricketts has promised to advocate for lower taxes every year he's in office. Republican State Senator Bob Christ has said he may also run for governor. 
A pickup truck struck a power pole in southern Elm Creek on Easy Street this morning. Because of the accident, some power lines came down and some people lost power. MPPD spokesman Mark Becker says it's an important reminder. If the power line is on top of your car, stay right there. Don't 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 even attempt to get out. Uh, the crews who get there, they're they're totally trained. If if the car is on fire, uh, we recommend to get out. Okay, but what they got to do is when they jump get out of the car, both feet got to land on the ground together and then shuffle off away from the um, vehicle. Becker said it is safe to use your cell phone to call 911 from inside your vehicle in the case of a downed line. The first lawsuit over Swiss agribusiness giant Syngenta's decision to put a genetically engineered corn variety onto the U.S. market before China approved it is about to go on trial. The trial that starts Monday in Kansas is one of tens of thousands of cases across the U.S. against Syngenta. Lawsuits alleged Syngenta's move wrecked an important export market for U.S. corn. They say corn prices dropped, hurting all corn farmers. Syngenta denies it caused farmers any losses. Kansas Governor Sam Brownback isn't saying whether he would sign or veto a bill that would raise income taxes and increase spending on public schools. Brownback told reporters today that he wants to maintain pro-growth tax policies even as Kansas raises new revenues to fix his budget and provide extra money to schools. But he wouldn't say what he would do if lawmakers pass a bill backed by Republican leaders. We want your news, video, and photos. Tip us under the News tab at krvn.com. From the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Summer's here, which means restrictions in place for E15. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Ron Lamberty is with the American Coalition for Ethanol. He talks about this crazy rule that goes in effect every year, the 1st of June. Well, we, there's this weird rule that's out there about the, you know, the 10% ethanol that we usually use. Back when the Clean Air Act regulations were passed, they lowered the reed vapor pressure, it's called RVP, they lowered that for the summer months, and the reason is because when it's summer, it's hotter, and the higher pressure the fuel is, then the more pollution it causes. And um, although ethanol is much, much lower in RVP than gasoline, when you add it to gas, it adds it, and it adds it whether you add 2% or 8 or 10%, it adds about 1 pound. So there's a rule that says, that was passed when they passed these other ones, it said ethanol gets a 1 pound waiver because... The ethanol is replacing 10% of the gas, so 10% of that stuff that used to get in the air isn't there anymore. So it got a waiver. And they said 10% at the time because that was the maximum you could put into gasoline. And so you fast forward to 2011 when EPA said E15 could now be used in vehicles that are 2001 and newer. Well, they wouldn't pass that waiver on to E15, even though... As you add more ethanol, you actually diminish the reed vapor pressure a little bit. Um, and so E15 fuel with 15% ethanol has higher octane and lower reed vapor pressure than E10. But because the EPA has always read that 10% as a strict number as opposed to the maximum at the time, they haven't allowed it. So we've been pushing them for years. And when that hasn't worked, then there have been a few bills that have been attempted to add the words or more behind the 10%. And so we're trying to keep all of the different options alive and remind people of them 
and today's a good day because today's June 1st to September 15th. You can't sell fuel with 15% ethanol in it unless you sell it as a flex fuel. Um, and so it's just a it's a goofy rule that doesn't do what EPA is supposed to do, which is keep the air cleaner. And it uh, it seems like a simple fix, but as most people know, if it seems like a simple fix, it's, <laughs> the government's probably the worst place to try and go get that done. <laughs> what what confusion for a consumer yeah. that's always put E15 in, now it's the 1st of June, 2nd of June, they're getting gas, and they're like, wait a second, I just put this yeah. in a week ago and it was okay, but now it's not? Right, you come up to the same pump with the same car, and last time you fueled it, if you looked at the label, it said, you know, it uh, you know, can be used in... in Cars and light trucks, 2001 and newer. And today you look at that thing again, you take a double take, and you say, wait a minute, that says for, you know, only for use in flex-fueled vehicles. Well, now, wait a minute, did it say that the last time I was there? I don't, you know, and that there's there's sort of a, uh, you know, a double take thing the first time people do it. But what we're also hearing from station owners is that in addition to that confusion, and, and, and by the way, it won't work any differently in your car on June 10th than it did on May 20th. It'll work the same way. It's just a rule that's that needs to be that needs to be fixed. But it, there's people then that own stations who said, "Now the big problem is that then in September 15th, these people who have been looking at these things are if, even if they look at the label and see it, and it says now they can use it in their 2001 new, a newer vehicle, but it's safe to use again." They're seeing that the numbers don't come back right away, and then it you know every year. They gain and gain and gain and build when people try it, find out it works just fine and it costs less, it has higher octane. But then by the time June June comes around, they get confused and they got to start the whole process over every September and, and people sort of get tired of it. And that's, from a consumer standpoint, this fuel that was saving you money and working fine in your car, you now can't use it legally. And from a station standpoint this fuel that is no different than it was the day before now has to be relabeled on all your pumps and you got to tell people different things about it that you told them the day before it's just it, it's 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 doing counter what epa is supposed to do and it's not necessary and um yet it seems like there's people hesitant to to uh, fix it so we're trying to remind all of them that it would be a good idea to fix it so where do you guys go from here? Obviously, getting gas stations have said we want it. This is a hassle for us. Consumers find the confusion. I mean, it's all about keeping the environment clean, which is what the EPA is all about. What type of push do you guys continue to do, and what what can a consumer do in that perspective to be able to to keep this on the forefront? Well, I mean, a consumer, if they use E15, they need to make sure that their their legislators know um, that there are bills out there that would allow them to use that all year. Um, Gas prices are sensitive to, to politicians. Uh, when people call and complain about them, they usually listen. And so the uh, uh, the two bills that are out there, um, I don't have the numbers sitting in front of me, but uh, there's a Senate and a House bill that, that both, um, if they come to our website, uh, www.ethanol.org, um, we've got an action center where they can click on wherever they're from and find their representative and tell them, hey, get this thing fixed. Those comments coming from Ron Lamberty with the American Coalition for Ethanol. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, did we have 
volatility in the livestock futures today? Let's find out. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Uh, yes, sir. Well, there was a little volatility, but not not really what we've uh, experienced in the past. Uh, some triple-digit uh, gains uh, made. That was uh, in the uh, June and April uh, cattle contract. Uh, and then over in the Peters, uh, they all saw some triple-digit gains. But it was a little bit uh, more mild today uh, uh, than uh, usual. But it still followed through strength from uh, uh, last week's cash. Uh, a lot of expectations that uh, the cash trade will be steadier, better. And con- considering everything, uh, still uh, pretty much uh, discount uh, to the latest sales. And uh, so that uh, climb continues, particularly in the nearby contracts. So uh, a pretty good day, a positive day for the cattle. Not so much for the um, for the hogs. Uh, uh, they uh, finished a little bit lower. There's some triple-digit losses there, but uh, it was uh, just a kind of a quiet m- uh, meltdown throughout the day in the hogs. Cash uh, seemed steady, firm. But we do have uh, still premiums with the uh, hogs. So just closing up uh, that gap. Cutouts uh, higher for the uh, cattle and uh, also higher for the uh, hogs. So uh, from that perspective, positive day uh, on the cash side. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Go to greatplainscommodities.com. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Cattleman's Ball took place this last weekend. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and while there, I had the chance to catch up with Jeff and Lisa Johnson, hosts and owners of the Lonesome River Ranch near Anselmo, Nebraska. In visiting with them on Saturday, they talked about how they felt this year's event had turned out so far. I'm thrilled. I mean, I can't tell you. Everything has gone really well. I know Jeff has run like crazy in the background. He's like, what time do I have to be someplace? Because I know he's taking care of everything, you know, that he can in the background. But I just really want to shout out to everybody that's helped with this. Because without them, this would not be possible. Everybody has a job, and they're all doing their jobs. And we're so fortunate. And we're, you know, I don't think we could ask for a better group of people. So I just... I can't thank those people enough. The, the volunteers are just, yeah, it's like Lisa, has been unreal. We've been feeding over 200 volunteers a day. Some of the people that uh, set up for this said that this is this was com- the first time ever that they've got this done in this amount of time and had that many volunteers and the willingness of the people in Custer and, and County and the, and the Sandhills because they come from all over to help for this. We had the Kearney football team here. Yes, we had the Kearney football the team. team. We've had you know, the umpteen different schools around from Gothenburg, Broken Bow, Myrna, Anselmo, um, Callaway. We've just been, we've just been so fortunate. Well, and it's really like a little town set up here. I mean, it truly is. You pull up and there's tents everywhere and you've got a general store and it's, it's just amazing what you guys are able to, to put together here. Uh, talk briefly on a little bit of the prep that, you know, I know it's been a while, a long time coming putting this together here. We started over a year ago. We went to last year's ball to see, you know, what was going on. We visited with 
you know, all their chairs. So they gave us lots of help and information, and so we took that to heart and took a lot of notes, and so we started planning, and you have to get those key people in place, and we had those key people, and so it's run smooth, and like I told everybody, I know we're not supposed to ask God for little little information things, you know, but I said, lots of times I sat there on the mower, like, please give me God, please don't let it rain on my day, please don't let it rain on my day, and so thank you, God, for a beautiful day. <laughs> it is absolutely beautiful. You just had your opening ceremony. And what a special ceremony. I know the the ball itself hits home a little bit, and especially these opening ceremonies, you had balloons released for those lost to cancer in memory for those. Touch on that. Um, we have, and we all cried a little bit over it because when Daisy was singing, I really thought it was beautiful. I think everybody was moved by it. You know, it's, it's for those that we've lost, for those that are fighting it, and for those that might get it. This is something that Jeff's parents have always wanted to have, and Jeff always talked him out of it. And so when we were asked, it took us about six months to say yes. But in the end, we did it because it was something that Fred and Betty wanted to have, and we just lost Betty this week. So um, this day is probably from Fred and Betty, so here's to Fred and Betty. Absolutely. Watching over you, I'm sure, and smiling down on you as well as we put together here. Any highlights from the ball yet that you guys can really look back on? You know, you'll get a week out or two weeks out and think, man, that was something. But any highlights so far as you're in it? You know, I'll tell you what, I'm sure we probably sold the first $40,000 bottle of wine last night. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's a highlight. The people, just the day, the event, everything. It's all highlight. Hearing again from host of the 2017 Cattlemen's Ball, Jeff and Lisa Johnson, owners of the Lonesome River Ranch. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. What we saw today in the grain markets was short of spectacular. Why? Well, because we didn't budge much. With something we haven't done much as far as movement up or down in the corn market for quite some time. We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So tell me about a commitment of traders report, what that might signal. So you guys might be out reading around and and coming across research and analysis on on commitment of traders. Commitment of traders essentially is a report that comes out on Friday after the close, and it measures the position setup of commercials, non-reportables, and speculators as of the close on Tuesday. So all this data we get on a Friday close, if you're reading them on, on various outlets over the weekend, you might see that the commitment of traders reports, and a lot of times they'll talk about the net spec position. Well, essentially measures the uh, the kind of, I don't say, the setup of the trade. I, I like to, to compare it to kind of a poker game and just see where, where chips lie. And, uh, you know, the reason why I'm bringing this up here is that, you know, it's been heavily reported that we're, we're essentially net short a record amount. We've been that way in wheat for a while. We've been that way in, in corn recently, and now we're kind of headed that way in soybeans. Um, what I want to look at is the outrights. And if you break out the, the speculator and where they are right now, you look at a very, I mean, the, we haven't had this many shorts on ever. Not from a net perspective, just from the amount of bets that have been made on the short side from the speculator that this thing is going to fall. It's up towards around 400,000 contracts. It's never been above really 360, 375, and even in those years, it's only been above it for a week or so. So we're going on three weeks now above that level, and it continues to rise as we saw on Friday. Contrary, the long side is also seeing folks put bet money to work as well. 
which, you know, for a while we hadn't really seen that throughout a lot of the early 2016. Mo most of the money in corn had been to the short side. The longs essentially represented by the guys in the physical. But we're starting to see those long bets come in now and folks looking to bet up, I think, with the summer weather approaching. So I think a spark is coming. I think these slow trading days that we've had over the, the, the recent, you know, if I say six weeks, are going to come to an end here. And I'm not sure exactly what's going to spark it. It might take really another month or so, but I would expect sometime before the 4th of July this range to get broken. And, uh, you know, this spillover of the game we're playing to, to, to move itself. So the short side looks to be the level that would blow out first, but you have a lot of folks in the physical on the long side that could move it as well. We're waiting for volatility. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. The only thing to the downside today was wheat, especially Kansas City. But Minneapolis wheat gained again on winter wheat futures, setting an 11-month high. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com for more. I'm Dewey Nelson.